Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. If you want to grab your Bible and uh, begin making your way to uh, Matthew chapter 7, that's where we're going to be today. I want to uh, give you an invitation before we begin in God's Word. Um, This afternoon at 545, right here in this uh, space, we will gather um, for our quarterly family meeting. And uh, our quarterly family meeting, you know, you may have heard of like churches having business meetings, and that's what we call them because it's really more about our family and what's going on in our family. And we spend more time praying than doing anything else. And um, our ministry leaders get to come and share what God is doing in their areas of ministry, uh, ask for your prayer support and encouragement. And, and, and your participation, but um, it's just a great way to keep up with what's going on uh, with, with life at the river. So if you got your Bibles, uh, Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to, uh, to be this morning. Um, we've been tracking through what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon, the greatest talk that ever passed through human lips, I believe, and we're coming to the end of it. And the end of this sermon like so much of it, it's just, it really fascinates me. Uh, one of the things that I, I pray that you have, have been captured by along this journey is just how brilliant Jesus is. I don't think we spend enough time talking about how smart Jesus is because he, 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 he just is. And just this sermon builds and builds and builds and, and we get to the end of the sermon and Jesus doesn't do that kind of touchy-feely, give you a really sweet story, Jesus ends his great message with three warnings. Now, last week, we looked at the first of those three warnings. It was the warnings of of two paths, uh, a broad path that many people get on that leads to destruction. And we said that path is basically just doing anything other than following the teachings of Jesus. But then we talked about that narrow path. And that, that, that narrow path was was just simply doing that, following Jesus in his teaching. And then we come to, uh, today, the second warning. And so let me put my glasses on so I can read the small print in my Bible. And we're going to uh, be in Matthew chapter 7 this morning. We're going to start in verse 15, and uh, we're going to read through verse 23. And Jesus starts this part of his message this way. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. Now, friends, in our modern post-Christian culture, this is a terribly confusing place to have to call home. Lots of different cultures and bringing lots of different worldviews, and while we do love being able to say that we have the freedom, you know, to pick and choose our, our worldviews, you know, it, it, it's confusing. It's so confusing that in, in our day, there are many parents who will say to their children, well, I will never tell you what to believe. That's so old-fashioned. And many people think that kind of language sounds great unless you're a child trying to make it in this world, moving 
you know, into puberty and, and adolescence and having to face a, a, a broken world without a clear worldview, a worldview that maybe is incoherent or at least not compelling. And when you need it most, you need a foundation to stand on. And for that to happen, we have got to have illuminating thought leaders in the church and, and, and stepping out into the world who are wiser, people who will direct us into the good life, the life of Christ, the life of real human flourishing. Now, in Jesus' day, in first century Israel, there was a name for those people, and they were called prophets. And prophet was somebody who spoke on behalf of God. They were a signpost, if you would, pointing to this life that we're supposed to pursue. Now, in our modern world, we don't use that word prophet very often. But there are people in our culture today who are kind of like signposts. They're professors. They're philosophers. They're psychologists. They're Nobel Peace Prize winners, you know. Every now and then somebody might refer to a pastor that way. And we look at those people as kind of speaking on, you know, behalf of reality and science. And all of them are functioning in the role of prophet. They're, they're a signpost. They're point, trying to point the way. And while they're, you know, it's, it's great to have thought leaders kind of like that, they create a huge problem in our day. Because all the signposts aren't pointing the same way. I mean, they're, they're all pointing in, in all kinds of different directions. And it becomes vastly confusing. And though it can be an overused cliche, I need to, to say to you, all paths do not lead to the same destination. They, they, they just do not. not. Not all ways of being human leads to, to flourishing. That's why Jesus gives us this warning. He warns us here. Take a look at verse 15 again. Jesus says, beware. I mean, I don't know how you received that, but Jesus is teaching this great sermon. He just stops and says, oh goodness, beware. Beware of false prophets. People who claim to be speaking for God but actually aren't. Now, this warning, beware. I, I want you to see that this isn't just some one-off. It's used six times in the Gospel of Matthew. It's used here. It's also used back in, in chapter 6 when Jesus was in, teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And every time it's used by Jesus, it's used about spiritual leaders. He's saying, beware. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. He was actually speaking of the Pharisees in that day. In, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 17, he says, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts. Jesus knew what was going to happen to him, that he would be delivered to Pilate in the Jewish courts. He knew that one day his, his followers would be taken into court, his, his disciples. He gave warning about that. In Matthew chapter 16, later on, we see in three places, verse 6, verse 11, and verse 12, Jesus gives this warning, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And that phrase, the leaven of, is kind of code word for their teaching. Beware of their teaching. Here's my point. This warning that we see in Matthew chapter 7 runs throughout all of the gospel of Matthew. It runs through all of the gospels. It runs through all of the New Testament. It runs back into the Old Testament. I want to show you this. This is important. Deuteronomy chapter 13, starting in verse 1, we read these words. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign... Or a wonder and a sign or a wonder that he tells you comes to pass? And if he says, let's go after other gods which you have not known and, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Uh, through the prophet Jeremiah, God speaks, the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you lying visions, 
worthless divination and the deceit of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord, concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say, sword and famine shall not come upon this land, but sword and famine for those prophets shall be consumed. In the New Testament, not only do you have the warnings of Jesus, but almost every single other writer of the New Testament we see these kinds of warnings. Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Isn't that a great word picture? People got a little itch in their ear, you know. Because they want to do things a certain way, their, their way. And so they're going to surround them, you know, th themselves with, with teachers who will, who will, you know, just play in that itch. They, they, they want it that way. Listen to how that verse concludes. It says, they will turn their ears away from the truth, turning aside to myths. But you, but you, keep your head in all situations. From the Apostle Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It says, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow after their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. I don't know what you... Notice in our world today, in, in the church, globally, but man, that sounds a lot like it. Listen to verse 3. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. And this is not Peter writing about the past. This is Peter writing about the future, which is our day. The day in which we live, saying you know, false prophets are going to be among us. The, the, the Apostle John, 1 John 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because, here it is again, many false prophets have gone out into the world. And on and on the New Testament goes. We see it in the Old Testament. The last chapters, the closing chapters of God's word. We read this, Revelation 20. It says, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever that's the past for false prophets welcome to church today isn't that just a joyful message aren't you glad you're here unless you're a false prophet then it's all sulfur and burning baby you know Here's my point. This warning from Jesus is not a one-off. It needs to be taken very, very seriously. It, this theme flows from the Old Testament through the teachings of Jesus into all of the New Testament. And I say this because this is not talked about a lot in our day in ways that make sense. Now, there's some people that are really loud shouters out there that you know, they kind of are cynical about everything. And we kind of tune them out. But the world needs to hear from Jesus. And, and we need wise pastors and teachers from the kingdom to, to say, be wary of false prophets. Be, be wary that there is false teaching that's going to happen. You know, as much as we need our safety team, you know, kind of patrolling our grounds, we, we need a security guard and a, an alarm system raised up for false teaching. Now, remember we said that Jesus has given these warnings, and the one right before this warning was the, the warning about the two different paths. And so one of the things that, in, you know, if we're going to, and we've got to study God's word in context, and especially this sermon in context, Jesus is building. And so when Jesus is talking about false prophets, we've got to see that part of false prophecy does it, it leads you down the wrong path. Because false prophets, they're kind of like map makers, if you would. They're making a, a, a kind of a way. And the way is supposed to point us as a signpost to human flourishing. What, what Jesus called the kingdom of God. What Paul said to Timothy is life that is truly life. So, a false prophet 
could be pointing you down a wrong path. And if you walk down that wrong path long enough, for a decade or two or three or four, you're going to end up at a destination you didn't intend. And your, lapse can your life can just collapse on you, just kind of implode. And this is why Jesus is warning us, warning us that there are danger in false prophets. And this is why Jesus gives us this other kind of next metaphor in verse 15. He says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now this, this metaphor that Jesus uses here of a wolf in sheep's clothing, it was common in Jesus' day. Sheep were like the most common kind of livestock commodity in the Mediterranean world in, in the first century. And wolves were their number one predator. You know, even in our day, in our English language, thousands of miles away on the other side of the world, that language is still kind of used. We still think of a wolf as someone who's a predator, someone who's not safe, someone who's out for blood, they're ravenous after their own. We still think today in terms of a, a, a little lamb, you know, somebody being innocent, probably a victim, maybe sometimes a bit naive. And Jesus picks up this language that's kind of in the pop culture of his day. And these wolves that he points to, they were at least smart enough not to look like wolves. They were kind of coming in sheep's clothing. He says in the same way, false prophets, you know, they're going to, don't think they're going to look like a flaming heretic or a, a, a Satanist. Sometimes they're just going to look like another follower of Jesus. Meaning you can't just take people who are teaching at face value, especially if they're claiming to speak on behalf of God. Now, hear me clearly say that I understand the irony of being a pastor and standing on a stage and teaching on this. I, I would have, this is why we, when we take a section of scripture, we go verse by verse, line by line, because we need to deal with stuff that. I wouldn't pick. This was not a verse I got up and said, oh boy, I can't wait to get to this one. You know, because I, I knew that it was going to create doubt. Aimed at me sometimes. But it's worth it. Because Jesus said it was. And we have got to deal with that. And so what Jesus does is Jesus gives us three tests that we can engage to help us think about how do we how do we see false teaching? How do we, how do we see that? Here's the first test he gives. It's the life test. Verse 16. Jesus says you will recognize them by their fruits. And then he uses this analogy. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Or figs from, from thistles? That's a rhetorical question, by the way. The answer is no. That, that can't happen. Verse 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Fruit here is a metaphor for life, for their life, for their character, in other words. For are you seeing the the fruit of the Spirit being lived out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are these things being lived out in the life of the one who's bringing God's Word to you? I love the way Eugene Peterson, uh, that great phrase, the, the, the message, paraphrased this part of Scripture. He says, Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practice, sincerity. Chances are they are out to rip you off some way or the other. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are in is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader, leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. He uses a phrase in here I want you to grab hold of, and it's this. When you, when you are listening to the teaching of anybody, you look at their character more than their charisma. You look at their character 
not their charisma. What are, they, what are they like off stage when they think the microphone is off? You know, what are they like there? What about their marriage, their family, their sexuality? Are they humble or, you know, are, are they always, are, are, are they the selfie king, you know? Are, are, they, are they kind of a lone ranger, dictator, leader, or do they lead in the context of a plurality of other leaders? In our day, when there's so many people kind of walking away from the faith, calling it, I'm deconstructing my faith, are they even any longer under the authority of any church? Or are they just free rangers out there? See, this is what Jesus means when he says they're fruit. And again, this, the, these fruits that Jesus is talking about, this was common commodity in, in, in Jesus' day. It was an agrarian society, and grapes and figs were plentiful. Some of the most common crops in Palestine of that day. And thorns and thistles were some of the most common invasive species that would destroy those crops. So Jesus is pointing to these living organisms produce fruit from their nature. Vines make grapes. Fig trees produce what? Figs. Thorns and thistles produce what? More thorns and thistles. You know? It, it's, it's just the way life is. This isn't rocket science. And, and the tr same is true of people. People with good fruit, if you would, come from a, a good source. Jesus did not say perfect fruit. None of us, not a single one of us, is perfect all the time in, in their fruit. But this is test one. Jesus says, look at their life. Look at their character. Because that will often point out whether they're a, a false prophet. This is, this is a starter. But now here's the interesting what Jesus does not say uh, about look at their life. He doesn't give us a definition of what good is. He tells us that there's going to be good fruit, but what, what does good look like? If you're kind of new to the faith, or you're just kind of exploring Christianity, uh, you're, you're here today, this, this thing of good and evil can be problematic in our day. And here's, here's kind of the interesting thing that you need to ho grab hold of. That began back in Genesis chapter 3. In what the Bible refers to as the fall of man, the great temptation, if you would. The, the great temptation at its root was the, the temptation to redefine good and evil based on our own desires and the voice of the deceiver in our head. That, that's what the first temptation, and every temptation since then has that as its root. The temptation, it, it, it's underneath every other temptation. It's to redefine good and evil based on this combination of what your heart desires and the voice of the deceiver. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, that's what he's called. Satan is called the, the deceiver. And he wants to fan that flame so that you will try to redefine good and evil based on your desire and his voice in your head instead of trusting God. Instead of trusting that God is good, that his word leads to life. And, and friends, this is really so tricky in our culture. So tricky in our culture because of the way that most people define good. Someone that's good. Most of the time when someone is kind of saying, oh, that's a, that's a good person, what they're, what they're saying is, well, that person over there, you know, they're kind of nice and they're very tolerant of, you know, everyone and they're, you know, pretty much they're, they're happy. They're not a grump, you know, and, and so we kind of look at that and say, that's a pretty, that's a, that's a good person. And so when we try to bring the definition of good into looking at false teachers, things can kind of get off because here's what happens. We can kind of say, well, I know they're teaching, you know, maybe wasn't spot on with what Jesus said, but, but they're such a good person. They're just so loving and sweet and, and kind and, and tolerant and happy. We'll just let what they said a moment ago, we'll just let that slide. And every time you let it slide, it comes back and, and it leads to destruction. Friends, we have to have an anchor point 
an anchor point as to what is truly good and what is truly evil. And our society is in a crisis over this because there's not an anchor point in our culture. It's just a mob mentality. And friends, I don't care if you're on the right or the left, and I'm not just talking about politically. I'm talking about morally. See, this is about two different definitions of what morality even is, what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is beautiful and what, what is true. And we, we've got to have an anchor point. And as apprentices to Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, our anchor point has to be Jesus and his teachings found in God's word, but especially we need to focus our teaching on his life and the things he said in, in the gospels. And, and then reading the rest of the New Testament, understanding that it's interpreting the teachings of Jesus. And that leads to test number two. Test number two is the teaching test. Look at verse 21. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Keep that phrase locked, okay? The will of my Father who is in heaven. Uh, again, I love the way Eugene Peter, Peterson paraphrases this. He says, knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious, obedient, doing what my Father wills. Serious obedience to what the Father wills. That, that, that phrase, the will of my Father who is in heaven, is, is really code word for Jesus' language. I mean, for Jesus' teaching. Okay? It's, it's just this kind of code language. Because all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, all throughout the, the Gospels, Jesus' teaching is equated with the will of God. In John 14, 9, Jesus says, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. See, Jesus claimed real clearly that he was speaking on behalf of God. And so for Jesus, the life test by itself is not enough. It's not just enough for somebody to kind of be a good person. You've got to watch out for their Christianese, how they use the language. I couldn't help but think of Paul's writing to Timothy, warning him. He says, Timothy, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. He says, closely monitor what you do and what you proclaim. He goes on to say, stay true to what is right for the sake of what? Your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Watch your life. Watch your teaching. Watch your teaching. Watch your life. Because what's at stake is salvation. Your salvation and the salvation of others. So, friends, here's a, here's a diagnostic question I want to give you. When, you're, when, you, you, know, when, you, got, when you listen to the podcast, okay, um, when, you're, when you're reading a book or, or something like this, when you listen to, to, to a sermon uh, by anyone, I, I, including me here, and you're trying to think, is this on with Jesus or is this off with Jesus, somewhere in between? Great diagnostic question is this. Is this person's teaching moving my heart to obey Jesus' teaching? Is what this person's saying moving my heart to pursue Jesus and his teachings? Do they make me want to do the will of my Father in heaven as laid out in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Do, do, does it do that? Or does it cause me to doubt? Does it cause me to play fast and loose with the interpretation of God's word? Does it, does it lead me to find ways to kind of explain away and justify the behaviors that I want to engage in? Is that what it does? See, th this is the key. This is where we, you know, have to be rooted, not only in the Bible, but especially deeply in the Gospels, the life of Jesus, so that we can be like the, 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 the Bereans. Acts chapter 17 tells us that the Bereans, that they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Friends, if the Apostle Paul had to be tested that way, you need to test me ten times more that way. 
You need to test every leader, every elder in this church that what we're teaching when we speak is in keeping with the very word of God. And if it is not, we need to be called out on it. We need, it, it needs to come out. See, everything, you know, needs to be compared to the litmus test of the word of God. We need to do that. We need to, but in order to do that, you've got to immerse your mind in Jesus and in, in the teachings of Jesus so that you can tell, well, that's off. That's just strange, you know? And I'm not talking about, you know, people who have PhDs and spend hours reading Hebrew. That's all good, great. I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying we all. Every, every man and woman and teenager, we, we all need to see Jesus as our rabbi, our teacher. And we need to stay so close to him that the dust of his teaching just flies up and attaches to us. That we, we experience his every word, we, we hang on it. So when somebody says something that's kind of off, you know, you don't have to pounce on them and pound them. You could just go up to them and say, well, I heard, heard you say this, but... Did you know that Jesus said this? this? This is what Jesus said about that. So you can manage and deal with false teaching that way. See, Jesus is just so spot on here in this sermon. It's just, it just and he comes out and says, you can't, just, you can't just pay attention when they're using Christianese and Christiany words. You know, he, he's pointing out here. You can't, just, you can't just trust everybody who says, Lord, Lord. You, you, you can't do that. There's this incredible book. Um, it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It, it's written by Rosaria Butterfield. And I, I want to, she's writing about um, false prophets. And she says this about false prophets in our culture. They reinvent a Christianity that fits nicely on the coexist bumper sticker. Have you seen those bumper stickers? He said it fits nicely there. Avoiding the disgrace and the shame of the cross for a respectable religion that bows down to the idols of our day, consumerism and sexual autonomy. This manipulation strategy relies on using biblical words in anti-biblical ways. It shares with biblical Christianity the same vocabulary, but not the same dictionary. Friends, this is a this is, I mean, that was very insightful, but we're on a slippery slope here, and this is all around us, and we see it in, in politics. You can see it in the Christian publishing world. You can see it in, you know, progressive Christianity. You can see it in former Christians who are, are trying to do this deconstruction thing, and they use, they use Christianese and even evangelical language and what they do is they start imparting new meanings to some of the same words. They start taking what, you know, was orthodox faith and, and turning on its heel. I think of one man. He was a brilliant, brilliant thinker. Uh, he was a professor out at Oregon State University, I believe. Uh, his name's Dr. Marcus Borg. And um, he did some great research into the historical life of Jesus wrote many books, and one of the books he wrote, which was mostly about the resurrection, but Dr. Borg did not believe that Jesus literally rose from the dead. He, he didn't believe that. And he had a line that became famous among some of his followers, and the line was this, the resurrection doesn't have to be real for it to be true. He's led many astray. So what he's, here, here's how he interprets it. He, he kind of says it this way. You know, the, the spirit of Jesus with, is with us. And he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. The spirit of Jesus is with us. And, you know, it, it leads to a spirit of justice and a spirit of love and a spirit of tolerance. And that's kind of like a resurrection of sorts. Friends, resurrection means you were dead, doornail dead, and you came back to life. Now, I'm all for tolerance and, and, and love and, and justice, but don't change the definition of words. 
to feet, you know, fill some itchy ear. Resurrection means coming back from the dead. Jesus was raised from death. That doesn't just mean, oh, no, hope and justice and tolerance are alive in the world. It means God, by his power, raised Jesus from death so that sin and death were conquered for you and me. Because if that wasn't true, we're dead. You're still dead in your trespasses, cut off from God. And Christians, by the thousands, are being taken in by these kind of slippery redefinitions. And Jesus is saying, don't fall for that sales pitch. Don't, don't fall for it anymore. There are false teachers out there. Now, I, I picked on the progressive side of Christianity, the liberal side, for a moment. But I'm an equal opportunity slammer. Okay? Many conservative Christians are, are quick to point out the heresies of the liberal. But I want to address the other side of this false prophet coin. Because there's another side. And one of the great tragedies, I think, in the American church today is we don't have clear categories for conservative heretics. And they're out there. We need to remember that when Jesus was here, he didn't spend a lot of time going after the liberals theologically. He went after the most conservative group, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Pharisees are far more conservative than anybody in this room. They, they just were letter of the law people. I want you to listen to what Dr. Glenn Stason wrote. He, he retired from Fuller Theological Seminary, but before that he spent 20 years um, at, at, at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He, his specialty was Christian ethics, and he writes about, uh, about this. He said, he was talking about ethics and politics. We should beware of those who claim to be Christian spokespersons, but whose words tell us to give our loyalty to the ruling powers. They deceive us. We are to beware of those who claim to speak the truth, but whose words try to pers persuade us to serve greed and war and ethnic division. Beware of those who put before us a corporate brand or a national flag or a racial loyalty or the almighty dollar or an image of our nation that stands for goodness against another nation that stands for evil and inflames us to make war and arouses our passions to serve that image rather than to serve God who is revealed in Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. Friends, it is so easy to get taken in on both ends of the spectrum, whether it's from the right or from the left. Don't fall just because people are using Christian language, Jesus-y kind of, of talk. It doesn't always equal Jesus' teaching. Okay, now that I've offended about everybody, we're going to start drawing the net in. Test one, the life test. Test two is the teaching test. Test three, and before I give it to you, I want you to look back at verse two. Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, first off, just to clarify, here Jesus was not talking about, you know, general population and salvation. Jesus was talking about false prophets, those who were, were teaching in his name but had no relationship with him. And apparently for Jesus, the, 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 the test of, a, 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 you know, a good life and the test of a good teaching aren't the only test. Test three is this, do they, do they have a relationship with me, Jesus says. Do they relationally know Jesus? Does the prophet have a personal, genuine, authentic, no spin involved relationship with Jesus? Do they know him? Now, that word translated where Jesus says, um, you know, I never knew you, that word is, is the Greek word gnosko, and it means to know intimately. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, that you know two plus two equals four. It's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter four when it tells us that you know, Adam knew his wife Eve. She conceived and bore son. It, that, that's, the, that's the kind of knowing here. It's an intimate knowing. And then Jesus in verse 22 said, on that day. On that day. You're, you know what day he's talking about? He's talking about judgment day. 
that, that day, that cataclysmic, cosmic day when the world gets put to rights. When all secrets are brought out into the light, there'll be no more spin, there'll be no more hush money, there'll be, there'll be no more non-disclosure agreements. All of that will be gone. All of that will be gone. Everything will be brought out into the open and dealt with by the judge. Lord God Almighty, the judge over the universe. And then and only then will anyone truly be able to know who was in a relationship with Jesus and, and who wasn't. That's going to be the, the ultimate test. But if that's true, that that's going to be when, what, what do we, how do we actually know who's in and who's out? And this is the tricky thing about test number three. We won't actually know. Well, if we can't actually know, should we test? Should we try, try to look? You know, if something's off, what do we, what do, we do? Now, here, here's the deal. We still need to practice discernment. You know, some people have... A, a discern my, my wife Kathy, she has a, a I believe it's a divine ability to, to discern. Some Christians have it stronger than others. And she is like a warning light for me. She will say, there's something just not right there, Joe. Now, I didn't learn early in my ministry how right she could be. I learned later, but I know now. And so when she says that to me, I pay attention. She says, I don't pay enough attention probably, but I, I pay more attention than I used to, don't I, baby? <laughs> you know, because I, I've seen that. And there are times, some of you that have more of that, that side of the prophetic gifts, if you would, of the spirit, where you, you sense those kinds of things. But even if you are great in that gifting, you will not know this for sure until judgment day. None of us will, only, only Jesus. But does that mean we stop trying to discern? No. It does not. Let me see if I can show you what, how, because there's a tension here. There's a paradox here that I want you to see. In, in the book of Proverbs, some of the Proverbs create all kinds of tension. Proverbs 26 is one great example of this. Proverbs 26, verse 4 says this, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. So don't, don't answer a fool according to folly. That's verse 4. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Do I answer him according to his folly or not? What do I do, Lord? The answer is yes. You live in that tension. You live in that discerning tension of what the moment requires. And in Matthew chapter 7, that's what Jesus is teaching us here. You and I will not know perfectly, but we're still not to give up discerning. We need, we need to listen. We need to carefully, you know, see, in this in this. Uh, metaphor that jesus is using here the deceivers the wolves they are themselves deceived they they don't even know it because they're genuinely shocked when jesus says i don't have a relationship with you oh my gosh did you notice that jesus calls them out and what do they do do they repent and fall on their faces and say oh my I didn't realize. What do they do? They start rattling off their list of achievements. They start talking about their words. Well, we, we spoke in your name, and we cast out demons in your name, and we healed in your name. And Jesus said, yeah, but you didn't know me. What, what was the point? And see, friends, we, we have got to be captured by, by that moment and, and that reality. So what do we do with all this? as the people of God, as, as River Bluff Church. What, what do we do with this? Well, here's the first thing that I would like to suggest to you that we do. Jesus here, I don't believe, is trying to create a community of watchdogs. But I do believe that he is trying to build a community that is watchful. That is watchful. I don't think Jesus is trying to fan the flames to stir up a spirit of suspicion at our church where you know we start thinking every spiritual leader is um, guilty until proven innocent or like others do just kind of sit back with their arms crossed just saying you know what all authority is corrupt I, I don't think that's what he's doing N notice notice what 
Jesus doesn't tell us what to do with the false prophets. Now, there's other scriptures that tell us how to deal with that, but, but what Jesus, when Jesus teaches about what to do with false teachers, if you go to Matthew chapter 13 later today and you, you read, Jesus gives some parables, and one of the parables he gives is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And in that parable, he says, you know, the wheat and tares grow together. Somebody snuck into the field and planted, you know, tares in your wheat. And what Jesus says to him is, just wait till the harvest. Don't go out there and start trying to pull the tares up because you'll, you'll tear the wheat up. Just wait till the harvest. Later on, Jesus explains that the angels are the harvesters, not you, not me. Okay, the angels will do the separating on that great day. But we've got to be watchful, and we've got to be able to see and discern false teaching. And within the framework of the church especially, we've got to call that out and, and, and draw each other back to Jesus. And then there's one last thing that I really think that all of us can be, all of us can participate in that, but all of us can also participate in this, and that is we need an anchor point in our world for good and evil. We need anchor points for truth. We need anchor points for what really brings people to human flourishing and life in the kingdom. And I'm not just talking about those with PhDs. I'm talking about the people of God living as signposts to what Jesus called the kingdom of God. Life in the kingdom of God. To what Paul said was the truly good life. See, what if our watching out for false prophets were to stir up in us to become prophets of truth? All of us, that all of us would see ourselves as prophets of truth, truth tellers to our co-workers, to our family members, to acquaintances, to people that we encounter, to people who live in our spheres where we live, learn, work, and play. What if we saw ourselves as, as truth prophets? I believe this, that in Jesus calling us to beware of false prophets, he's telling us to do that by becoming true prophets. That you and I would become true prophets of the good teachings of Jesus, of life in the kingdom, showing and telling the gospel, the good news of Jesus proclaimed in him, that it's available for any and everyone. Just ordinary people can come in. Here's what the Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes about you. You are a chosen people. You are royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Now, notice the result. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. What if we all began to see ourselves that way? As these, you know, prophets and priests displaying and declaring Jesus and his teachings here in the Sermon on the Mount. I, I can't help but wonder, could we reverse the trajectory of things in our world and in the relationships around us? What, what if we were to really just start living in the reality that we're in a relationship with Jesus that can be personal and intimate? Like, like Brother Lawrence talked about, if we just started practicing the presence of God, what Jesus called, if we would abide in him just every moment of every day. What if we did that? And out of that, we, we grew in knowledge of him and his, and his teaching, and it got anchored in our hearts and our minds, and it was this, this anchor point for us, and we, we learned to live in that reality kind of all day long. And what if out of that we devoted ourselves to following Jesus and his teaching and, and doing the will of our Father that, that's in heaven? And what if out of that good fruit came? People around us saw it. And men and women and teenagers and young adults and were being transformed by a relationship with Jesus so that we became these luminous thought leaders in our culture and that's so desperately needed. What, what if all of that happened because our intimate relationship with Jesus, we just dove into that and believed him and believed his word and his teaching and his life, and we followed after that. What if? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we come, 
And Lord, and you know how, uh, how kind of anxious this message was to bring. But at the same time, you gave it to us, Jesus. You gave it to us as this great warning. Beware. Beware that false teaching is out there. And, and then, Jesus, you gave, us, you gave us your teaching to fortify our souls against it. And that teaching is rooted in you. Because it's all about you, Jesus. It's rooted in our walk with you, our relationship with you, our love for you, our devotion to you. Thank you for reminding us about that. That it's all about that. So if you're here today and you've been kind of checking out Christianity, please hear me say that at its core, it's about a personal, intimate, loving relationship with Jesus. And the only way to access that is as Jesus said, you have to repent and you have to believe, trust Him. You have to repent of a life that has been lived, trying to do it on your own, your own way, and come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I see your life and I see your teaching, and I believe it leads to real life. So I turn away from my old way, and I'm choosing today to follow you. You can do that right where you're at. You can repent. You can just say, I'm forsaking that to follow you, Jesus. And then following him means that you believe him. You believe that the words that we read in the Gospels that he spoke are the words of life. And you build your life on those, making him your, your real, true Lord. Not just, not just lip service, but surrender. You can do that right now. You can just pray that prayer, Jesus. I'm turning away from making my life being led by me to being led by you, putting my trust in you. But most of us here, for us, it's a recommitment to that truth, to that walk, to that relationship. It's a recommitment, again in this moment, to believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that the gospel is true, all of it, and that I will surrender my life to believing it convictionally, at the core of my being. I believe, Jesus. I believe you. I believe your words. I believe you were dead and you were raised to give me life. I believe. And the Bible says if we will root our lives around that, we'll find real life here, now, and for eternity. So will you recommit to that? Will you recommit to not being a watchdog, but being watchful? And will you recommit to, to becoming a truth prophet yourself as a follower of Jesus? Lord, we come. We come believing. It's in your name we pray.